You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Hello, everyone. I'm Kim Bloomer, one of your hosts. And I'm Jeannie Thomason, the other host. And this week's show is entitled Parrot Talk Naturally. We're going to be speaking with Liz Wilson. Uh, this woman has an amazing background. <laughs> I, don't, I think it would take us half the show just to get through it all, wouldn't it, Jeannie? Yeah, probably would, but I'm really excited she's here. I know. We're talking about birds for the first time in a long time, and she is a certified vet tech and a certified parrot consultant, and she has been living with and working with parrots for... 35 years or more, I'm not real sure, but she has specialized in avian and exotic animal nursing. So we are very, very honored to have with us today, Liz Wilson. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally, we'll be right back. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. Welcome, Liz. Thank you very much. Well, I don't even know where to begin with this because I'm kind of duh when it comes to birds. <laughs> so, so are the rest of us. Which that's right. right. <laughs> well, Jeannie has an African gray, and of course, uh, she has been following your work for a long time. And I just, you know, Liz, I think it's so important that our listeners, because we don't do a lot of shows on birds, 
as we were talking with you about before the, before the show started, that they learn about them. And we're going to make some, I think we're going to draw some parallels today with our horse-loving friends out there and explain some differences between bird behavior and how you deal with that and, and, and dogs, which are, I think our audience is made up primarily of. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. Why don't you just go ahead and start by giving us more of your background because you write and you consult and <laughs> you speak and you travel and you do all kinds of things. So yes, we I, humbly I, sit at your feet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, the, I started as an elementary school teacher with a minor in psych and I worked not only as a classroom teacher for several years, but I also worked with disturbed children. And then I did crisis work with adults. And then I bagged humans all together and went back to school and became a veterinary technician. Yay. Well, let me ask you a question real quick. Why did you bag humans? I mean, I can relate, but I'm wondering why you did. <laughs> I, I got tired of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went into animals because I thought that would be more rewarding and in a lot of ways it was. I worked as a veterinary technician for 20 years wow. and had already owned exotics, which is defined as in veterinary medicine as anything that isn't a cat or a dog. Right. <laughs> Pretty much, um, right. So you have a pet chicken, that's considered to be exotic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, so I specialized in them when I got into being a vet tech. And at and that, that time, Liz, there probably weren't a lot of people that were into you know, exotic. Oh, yeah. Stuff. I was considered to be one of the top in my field, but there were only like five of us. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't any big deal. <laughs> you know, it's easy to be an expert when you're the only one there. Right. Um, yeah, but you look, that's kind of a good way to get started. It's, it, it definitely is, and that's exactly how it happened. Um, the zoo vets at the University of Pennsylvania at the veterinary school where I worked found out that I owned a parrot and got me started nursing birds. Mm. And um, and I still own the same bloody parrot <laughs> who's clattering around at my feet. If you hear a clattering noise, she's rummaging amongst a bunch of large rocks trying to find sunflower seeds that I've hidden. Oh, good Aww. for her. So it's a, a foraging technique. Right. It doesn't blue... keep her quiet, but it keeps her busy. Right. She's the blue and yellow macaw that you own. Yes, that's, their, that's Sam. And yeah, they're called blue and yellows in Great Britain. Are they? Now, see, that was new to me. Yeah. So you stumbled into that quite correctly. Oh, yeah, Sam is a blue and gold macaw hen um, who is probably very old, probably in her 60s, wow. is my veterinarian's guess. Um, my avian vet considers her to be the oldest bird in her practice. Mm. Really? And you've had her for, like, what, 35 years? 35 years we've been together. And so she was a rescue then? No. She was rehomed. Uh-huh. Um, this was before the word rescue was attached to every animal changing homes no matter what. Right. Yeah, I kind of like the rehomed myself. Uh, yeah, the word rescue, it, it means the animal is in a life and death situation. Right. And there's and, plenty of those out there. Sure, but they're not all rescues. Right, exactly. But people tend to call them rescues. They say, no, if you bought the animal full price, that wasn't a rescue, that was a purchase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's get realistic about this. Um, so there was no romance involved. Her previous owners had her for 12 years, but were expecting a child, and they had a two-bedroom trailer, mm-hmm. and Sam was in the other bedroom. Poor Sam. Oh. And so they didn't really have any choice. Right. And that was 35 years ago. 
and, and some days when anywhere. she's driving me crazy, I wonder why I have put up with her for 35 years. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it has occurred to me that she's put up with me for 35 years. <laughs> and and there you go. Wonder, like, you know, that's not easy. No. It's not. I wonder why birds. I mean, I've looked at some photos that you are with your, you know, with different birds. And I love birds, but I've never been drawn to have them as my focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like them, and I love Jeannie's bird. I've never had the opportunity to meet him in person yet. Mm-hmm. One day I hope to. But it, it just, I, I'm curious, what, draw, what drew you to the birds? How different they are. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, I not only had the prerequisite of budgies, or what Americans call parakeets, mm-hmm. but I also had turtles and white mice and all kinds of things like that. And so it simply is a different life form, um, and I am intrigued by different life forms. Oh, and in my career, then worked with birds as well as reptiles, as well as you know exotic mammals. I did some work with large exotics, um, which is very exciting because they can actually kill you. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I was used to animals that could just scar me permanently, but not, you know, kill me. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, oh, that's that was her. Grandpa. What did she just say? She just said hi. She, somebody's walking by on the street, so oh. she felt obligated to greet them politely. <laughs> Most of the people I've met in the neighborhood were introduced to me by Sam. Oh, oh, that is so she and she sounds so cute. I know, I know. And we're going to talk about this today, Liz. Mm-hmm. They aren't always cute. I mean, these no. wild. These were originally wild animals. Well, actually, and Sam specifically was a wild animal because she's a wild caught bird. Oh, she is. Uh, we've only been routinely breeding the medium size and large parrots for, depending on where you are in the country, twenty five to thirty years. So they're still pretty much like they're wild. Genetically wild. They're usually, they're, the medium size and large species are usually first or second generation from the wild. So their you know, parents that, were captured in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Or their grandparents were captured in the wild. So that tells me that we're still learning a whole lot about them and their nature. Oh, there's no question of that. And it doesn't matter how long you've worked with them. Um, the more you learn, the more obvious it becomes how little we actually know. Oh, boy, that's so um, you know We don't is? know anything about them in the wild. Right. Whenever um, I hear somebody say that, Liz, whenever I hear somebody say what you just said, that to me is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, that, that is a wise comment to me. Mm-hmm. Because when we think we know it all is when we're in trouble. Well, I tell people when they, when they start out in the world of parrots, they are not in a position to be able to judge how much someone else knows. Mm. The only thing they can actually judge is whether or not the person thinks they know a lot. <laughs> um, and so, and that's, I learned that the same way I learned most things, which is the hard way, <laughs> which is a good way for me to learn because I don't forget it. True. Yeah. Um, that someone with a real con, a con artist line can really really sends you in the wrong direction as far as knowledge goes. And as an exotic animal owner, you cannot afford to be not knowledgeable about your animal because it's the only way you can protect it from people who do think they know a lot. And that includes veterinarians, for example, who do not tell you they have virtually no bird experience. Oh, no. 
There are vets out there that will not tell you that. Mm-hmm. But they'll still try to work on your, your animal. Yes. Why would they do that? I would be mortified to do that. I, it is not illegal because, as you well know, your veterinary license does not specify what animals you're allowed to work on. Right. You just right. learn certain species. I think they learn at least five species. But, I mean, that doesn't mean that they're an expert in all five species. No. no. But there are people who apparently either, you know, consider their time to be valuable enough that they should charge no matter whether they know anything about the animal or not, or their ego is, oh, there you go. You know, unable to admit that they don't know much. Right. I honestly think that the ego shows a lesser person. Than I absolutely were, agree. You know, if they were to admit that, you know, I really don't know, but I, I know somebody who probably could help, and then work with that person to learn about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell people. If they have a veterinarian that says they don't know, but that they would like to learn, then that's someone worth working with if, of course, your animal's not, you know, on death's door. Right. right. At which point you want to find somebody that doesn't need to be taught. Oh, definitely. Parrots are so sensitive and so different and handle stress so differently. Yeah, they are very different in a lot of ways. They're also very much alike in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, And it's, it's hard to get people to understand I mean, most people are afraid to learn about them in veterinary medicine. Um, I got to be the expert in exotic animals at the University of Pennsylvania by the simple expediency of being the only technician on staff who didn't refuse to learn about them. Mm. And in 24 hours, I was then their exotic animal expert. Right. Um, Why is that? Why are people afraid of the birds? You know, it's an interesting thing. First of all, I've discovered to my dismay, and this is is quite accurate, you know, as someone who worked in veterinary medicine for a long time, that most of the people that I know that work in veterinary medicine are not animal people. They're usually dog people. Hmm. And they're not just dog people. They're usually big dog people right. or little dog people right? Um, as opposed to a cat person. Most of the people in veterinary medicine, small animal medicine, are afraid of cats. Good point. That is just... I know. It's beyond my understanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jeannie and I both worked in... I mean, Jeannie's a former vet tech, and I worked in veterinary medicine many years, and I'm just an animal lover, always have been, but then I grew up around, you know, a variety of animals, as did Jeannie and as did you. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why. I mean, we always had, you know, guinea pigs and rabbits and gerbils and hamsters and and, um, mice. And, of course, then my dad's family always, they had large animals, horses and cows Mm -hmm. and pigs and everything. So I grew up around a wide variety of animals, so... I like them all. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but we had birds, too. And mm-hmm. my grandmother's name was Polly Liz. So mm-hmm. you can imagine that she had a red macaw and no knowledge mm-hmm. about what this bird needed. We were told to stay away because he would bite. His name was Mac. And I was fascinated with him. I wanted so much to touch him and get to know him. But we were told not to, mm-hmm. and he wasn't properly. I, I he wasn't properly cared for, in my opinion. Um, and this was how long ago you said? Oh, when I was little. Okay. Well, there wasn't any information back then. Right. No. Um, I started with my first medium-sized parrot, my first bird that was bigger than a budgie, 
um, in my early 20s, and that was back in the late 60s, early 70s, and, I, you know, I, the stuff that I learned then was totally useless. Oh, you know. Um, yeah. My macaw is very lucky because I was working in veterinary medicine with zoo vets when we took everything we knew about birds and threw it all out and started over. Mm. Oh. And that happened between 1979 to 80 right. to 81. About, is that about the time you started writing, Liz? No, I didn't start writing until actually my first writing experience was a veterinary textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you wrote a veterinary textbook? I wrote a chapter in a veterinary textbook. Okay, but you've done it like eight more times since then, haven't you? I've, yes, I've got a total of eight chapters now. Oh, my goodness. Um, but then I started writing for a pet owner's magazine right. probably in 92. Really? It was that late? I thought it was earlier than that. Mm-hmm. I'll be darned. I only well, I started that when I just around the time that I started actually working with parrot behavior. Mm, okay. Well, that was probably ninety. Mm-hmm. But you start. You've written for a lot of magazines and even for the um, Journal of Veterinary Medical Associations um, Journal, right? Yes. Um, and wow. the Association of Avian Veterinarians, and so I don't even know how many journal articles I've got, not you, counting the the lay literature mm-hmm. that I've written. A lot there. You're a certified parrot consultant, and don't you head up a certification? There, I am an active member of an organization called the IAABC, which is the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. And I was the founder of the parrot division because that's the bird, that's the family of birds that I actually work with. Mm-hmm. I've, I did wildlife rehab for a number of years, so I've worked with other kinds of birds, but I don't consider myself to be any kind of an expert in anything else. I, there are plenty of days when it, I find it dismaying that I'm considered to be an expert with parrots. Aww. So Aww. it's just, well, they're very complicated animals. Yes, they are. Maybe you can share a little bit with, with the audience about how complicated they are and that they're not just a pretty decoration. Well, you're talking about, first of all, and this is something that my colleagues working with other species of animals have a little trouble absorbing, is say every dog you ever saw on this planet was the same species. Mm-hmm. And all of your house cats are the same species. There are breeds which are man-made genetic manipulations. Right. Nature makes species. Every different kind of parrot you see, is a totally different species. Right. So it's like a fox and a coyote and a dog and a wolf. Mm Mm-hmm. That, yes, they have some things in common, and they have plenty of things they don't have in common. You know, they could be a desert species like a bajaragar or a cockatiel from Australia, or my own bird is a South American rainforest species. And so they're they're not even on the same continent, much less the same environment, much less eating the same diet, because the foods aren't the same. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. So it's very complicated, and an African gray is not even close to the same bird as, for example, a blue and gold macaw. Right. Uh, But if you had 10 African grays, it would be like having 10 children. (laughs) They're all the same species, but that doesn't mean they're alike. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it can get very complicated. You know, you have characteristics of different species of parrots, 
but the individuals are going to be extremely variable within that species. Right. So it it can get really interesting. And and, and you're still you're probably going to continue and always will be studying about these birds, won't you? Oh, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, be- I mean, I've been really concentrating on them for over 20 years, um, working only with parrots. And it really, the more I learn, it, it just becomes more obvious that, that we really don't know much at all, which is very dismaying. And it's also very exciting mm-hmm. because there is no sensation I like better than learning something new. Right. So they're, I'm perfect for this, That's for working with these animals. I have a very low threshold for boredom. <laughs> and you well, with them, never yeah. get bored with parrots. Yeah, no, you, you never do. Constantly. So it keeps you, um, because you're, you're somebody who obviously seeks to learn and mm-hmm. share that knowledge with others. So this would, they definitely would be something that you would be challenged by. Yes. I only wish, and I know Jeannie probably shares the sentiment, that everybody felt that way before they brought them home. Oh, it's very true. But it's the same applies to dogs and cats, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Uh, That people (laughs) need to do their homework Mm -hmm. before they bring home an animal. Definitely. Um, Not that they're cute or pretty or whatever. Yeah, they're you know whether they match the furniture is not exactly the criteria. I, yeah, I know. I've heard uh, that people have surrendered animals just because they got new decor. Yes, that isn't a joke. That's real. Yeah. It's real. It's not a joke. And Mm-mm. I even heard that. You know, I'm partial. It was funny that you said big dogs in the beginning because I am very partial to big dogs. I don't know why I've had every variety, but mm-hmm. um, just one of those people. I, I like big animals. <laughs> yeah. And. Great Danes, they had they had to change their Great Danes because they got new furniture. And I thought, what what kind of person thinks mm. that animals are just, you know, merchandise? There are a lot but, of them out there. Yeah, yeah. There are more of them than there are of us. Exactly, and they're disposable, but yes. they're living, breathing, feeling, thinking. And as they has been proven with, um, you know, with the with the parrots in particular. With Alex, you mean? With Alex, mm-hmm. yeah, how mm-hmm. cognitive they are. Yes, okay. yes. an extremely intelligent, mm-hmm. abstract memory, um, high-level analytical skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I am <laughs> very good at manipulating humans, <laughs> even better than dogs and cats. Exactly. I was going to mm-hmm. say, you, you think you, you, know, you can be a dog expert and think, oh, I can handle a bird, but it's mm-hmm. totally, totally different. Yes. Oh. Jeannie's bird does this thing when he wants for us to be done with, like, our show before we're done, and he'll make a sound of a phone ringing. Mm-hmm. And he does it more and more the longer we're on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, wants- they tend to drop hints like that, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not very no. subtle. But- My McCall will start saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so she's not quite as subtle. <laughs> <laughs> and a friend of ours, Maggie Wright's birds will say goodbye, too. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Maggie's very special. I like her a lot. Yeah, oh, she, she yes, she's a great person. Her birds will say goodbye, and she, they've done that on the air, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, on the show, they've said goodbye, and they're ready for. And they start making a lot of noise because they're ready for her to be done. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine you experience all these things with this amazingly. I don't. They're just brilliant yes. to me. It and, can be more than a little scary at times. How smart yeah. they can be. 
Uh, well, Liz, maybe you could share a little bit. I know we talked before the show about the difference between how you would handle behavior with a parrot and a dog or a cat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just maybe so people get an idea of how different they really are. The, the first thing to focus on is the predator-prey approach. Mm-hmm. Um, there are birds who are predators, as we were talking about earlier, hawks and, and owls and and eagles are all predators. Um, and the psyche of a predatory animal is different from the psyche of a prey mm-hmm. animal. And all of the parrots are in the official category of prey animals. Our dogs and cats are both predators, and therefore it's probably easier for them psychologically and for us psychologically to share our home with a creature who is also a hunter. Whether somebody's a vegetarian or not is not the issue. Right. Um, With a prey animal, they are designed to respond differently to various input. I mean, when you talk about a fight or flight response, that's where that term came Mm -hmm. from. Um, And so people will say, I don't understand why he just jumps off his perch and screams and falls on the floor. And why doesn't he understand his wings are clipped and he can't fly? (laughs) And the humans are completely misunderstanding what they're seeing. Right. There was no thought involved. The bird responded instinctively to something that they considered to be threatening, which could have been an airplane flying over. Right. Um, If they don't know what it is, something from above is potentially deadly. Even if you bring something new that hasn't been in the room into the room. Yes, there are innumerable stories about a parrot's behavior changing dramatically, and they're finally figuring out it's the picture on the wall. Right. Um, that they had just gotten or something like that. Um, I'm doing a column in the, the next column I'm doing for bird talk. I'm talking about an environmental situation that a young bird got into. Um, and the humans had no idea what was wrong with this animal. And it turned, it was a room filled with stuffed animals and big posters. Oh, no. Of oh, things like. Tigers and stuff. Oh my goodness! And it was a baby African gray. Oh! And the humans were absolutely horrified when they realized, sure, that this little bird was terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they were just mortified. It, it just, and it's simply a matter of looking at the environment and trying to imagine what it must look like right. to an animal that sees better than we do sees into the ultraviolet spectrum, which we can't, mm-hmm. um, and has better hearing. Um, they don't have the sense of smell that dogs and cats have got, um, but they are extremely alert. Um, I had one client, and I'd heard of people who said this but didn't believe it, and then I actually had a client who told me his bird slept with her eyes open. <laughs> and I said, no, you're waking her up. Right. And he said, No. This bird is sleeping with her eyes open. I've had her 10 years. I know this animal. I said, no, she's not. (laughs) You're waking her up. (laughs) And he had never seen the bird asleep. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. And so, again, it's a matter of understanding. My favorite analogy recently is it's like trying to talk to a fish. Mm, mm, That's good. This is a totally different creature. Right. 
And that's what I happen to like. I mean, I have cats as well. Mm-hmm. And I used to have dogs. I may not have another dog. I really don't know. Um, but I, I will never be without birds, and I will never be without cats. Mm-hmm. How um, interesting that you've chosen, you know, prey-predator <laughs> combination. Like actually, that. it depends on the size of the animal. That's where your real focus for predator-prey comes in. Um, my blue and gold, if she's on the floor, stands the same height as my cats. Mm. And they were kittens when they came into the household. And there is nothing that my macaw likes better than training kittens. <laughs> I can only imagine. It's a very, very evil black sense of humor. <laughs> I can only imagine. Tell us a little about it. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's, it's this thing about popping out from behind something and grabbing a cat's tail. <laughs> because as far as Sam is concerned, every cat on this planet needs very badly to understand that they need to know where their tails are at all times. <laughs> So she made sure that every cat that has ever lived with me, and there have been, oh, I don't know, 15 cats that I've had over the 35 years that I've Mm -hmm. had Sam, um, and every one of them learned to keep track of their tails at all times. (laughs) Wow. Wonderful. She stays with my veterinarian sometimes when I go out of town, and she loves chasing my vet's cats, too. (laughs) Up the stairs and around the upstairs, and you really have to watch her. She's very evil. (laughs) <laughs> and the, the worst part is that she's laughing the whole time. I can imagine she's mm-hmm. having the best time. Oh, yeah, great, great boys. <laughs> Such a good game. I mean, it's the old thing about why do cats chase? I mean, why do dogs chase cats? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because they run. Right. You know, they don't run; they don't get chased. Mm-hmm. Well, Liz, how do you how do you equate this to, say, people who have horses? Maybe there there was yeah we talked about this briefly. It's very interesting parallels between parrots and horses. And I have to say, first of all, that to my huge dismay, I don't have much experience with horses. I mean, I have gotten on them, ridden them around, and gotten off again. I know, but that's, that is pretty much my knowledge. But horses are prey animals, and they're herd animals. Mm-hmm. And parrots are prey, and most species are also flock animals. So you have the fundamental, a very social animal that is designed to be somebody else's lunch. Mm-hmm. And so there are similar things. We talk about, say, you're horseback riding and you ride past this speed limit sign and the horse is fine going one direction and spooks going the other direction. There's something about the sign that worries them. Right. And so you could very easily end up on the ground. And it's the same kind of trigger reflex in prey birds that where they respond with instant fear and a physical reaction to it. Um, and you remind me of a woman whose book I read recently on horses. She was a, a guest on our other show recently, and we'll come back. And her book is um, called Naked Liberty, and she talks about those same things that you're talking about with birds, mm-hmm. with horses. She She actually... And she was able to become part of a wild herd. Oh, fascinating. Uh, when she was a child, ah. um, 13, she went from ages 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. And it, she gave herself three summers to become part of that. And it, it, it nearly backfired on her the second summer when um, you know, she, because of the horses. When they started accepting her as part of the herd, they started schooling her as part of the herd, if uh-huh. you know what I mean. And that was pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have very similar problems with horses that are raised by humans. 
yes. mm-hmm. can become very dangerous. And the same type of thing can happen with parrots that are raised by humans. That they don't know how to, first of all, correctly socialize with a human because they don't, they don't understand that they're actually a parrot. Right. Oh, I'm um, glad you're bringing this up. And they, don't, <laughs> and they don't know how to deal with other parrots. Right. Well, you know, and she said the same thing. I had a question for her about imprinting, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the same term you use with birds. But I, I had this question with her, and it took her two weeks to answer me because she wanted to answer me in a way that she felt would reflect her true feelings without... She's just very considerate of other mm-hmm. people. But it's it's an, an extremely complicated process mm-hmm. in printing. And she felt that they should be allowed to be imprinted upon their, by their own species. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the number of hours after a foal is born is right. the window in which that, time, that takes place. So birds would be the same way, right? Well, it, when we talk about birds, we've got, I always like to point out, because I like numbers, even though I don't ever remember them, uh, <laughs> that there are approximately three times as many species of birds on this planet as there are species of mammals on this planet. Mm. Gosh. So when people talk about birds, you know, it's like, okay, we talking about a hummingbird or a chicken or an ostrich? Mm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's tremendous variation, just like there is in the world of mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, the birds I work with are very different from other species of birds. Right. I'm fascinated with the parrots. So I, I think what we're going to do is take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to dig into some of this <laughs> with Sounds you. good. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagatonic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back 
but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. And we're back, and we're speaking today with Liz Wilson. She is a certified parrot uh, consultant, and I'm Kim Bloomer, one of your hosts, together with Jeannie Thomason. Liz, we've been talking about some interesting things, the parallels between horse and and, and parrot behavior and mm-hmm. just the wide variety of uh Species, uh, not species, but the wide variety. The I guess, um, Jeannie, help me out here. It's there's a diverse amount of birds out there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how else. A whole lot of different species. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was just fascinating to me, and I'm drawn to these birds partly because they are so exotic looking. Mm-hmm. Partly because it, and they're beautiful. They're just amazingly beautiful. But just. Probably be going back to when I was a child when I was told I couldn't talk to Mac. You know, I couldn't go up to him and, and become friends with him. And I, I remember Liz looking at him in his eyes, and he looked so sad to me. Mm-hmm. I remember him being so sad. And I think that, of course, he was lonely. But yep. he wasn't. He also knew that he wasn't understood. Mm-hmm. And real intelligent, and his life was sad to me. And, of course, he ultimately, I believe, he died from pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And that would be, I would hope that you could explain some of that uh, to us. Why Why would that be? Because we didn't know anything about birds, you said, back then, of course. But um, they need to be cared for in a certain kind of way, don't they? they? Yes, you need to. Their dietary requirements are a lot more complicated than most people seem to think mm-hmm. or realize. The problem with a lot of people is they don't know that they don't know. Mm. And if you don't know that you need information about something, then you aren't necessarily going to look for it. Um, my McCall was very lucky because when, in the time frame, the very early 80s, when we took everything we knew about parrots and threw it all out and started over, I was already working in veterinary medicine at the time as a vet tech. And so Sam got switched over from a seed diet to a better diet and things like that. But even now, 25 years later, um, 20 years later, my math's real good. Uh, <laughs> that At least 20 years later. Uh, yeah, a long time. Um, that malnutrition is still mm. the foundation of about 75 to 80% of the illness that the veterinarians see in companion birds. Oh, my goodness. And, and that's obscene. Mean- it is obscene. Would it go to their behavioral problems, too? Oh, absolutely. I'm, Nutrition I'm, is the foundation of everything. You betcha. It's the foundation <laughs> of health. It's the foundation of behavior. Um, I mean, I joke about, you know, if I haven't eaten well, I get crabby and I scream and bite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we've seen, say, certain species of parrots yeah. um, get more aggressive if you hit, feed them a high-fat diet. Uh, we may not understand why that happens, um, but we can certainly see it happening, right? Um, and that sort of thing. So, and they're, the process of living with a parrot has to, by definition, be a constant learning thing. And, and do you think that people that they've been given a bad rap. You know, I know pit bulls are given a bad rap. What about these birds are given a bad rap? I always hear, watch out, they'll bite. 
Why well, not? certainly they, they're quite – well, the, the first joke on that subject is in veterinary medicine, if it has a mouth, it bites. <laughs> you bet. It um, any and yes, right. Sure. But again, if you visualize, we're talking about a little bitty prey animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, even my blue and gold that people consider to be a large parrot only weighs two pounds. Mm-hmm. And so she is a two-pound prey animal living in a household – with a 150-pound predator, right? Um, and the best defense is a good offense. Yep. That from my own experience, and I've <laughs> I've worked with parrots for a long time. 99% of the time, when a parrot is biting, it's because it's afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has learned that that's the only way to get the attention of the humans. Right. Uh, My favorite example of this was uh, one of my clients who brings her African Grey to me um, to be groomed. And I've been grooming this bird for many years now. And I only see this bird, you know, two, three times a year to do his wings and nails. Mm -hmm. And I'm very gentle in my handling. But if I were him, I wouldn't like me. Right. You know, I gently wrap him up in a towel and I do his wings and nails. I, I wouldn't care for this if I was being put through that. Mm-hmm. But he has never, never tried to bite me, which is rather extraordinary. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, what I'm doing justifies my getting bitten, and I sure. that happens sometimes. Sure. But, Liz, don't you think that at some level, I mean, because these birds are also very telepathic, don't you think at some level that, that he, this bird knows you want to help him? I, I don't know, and I, I don't spend any time trying to figure out what an animal's thinking. Mm-hmm. I joke about the fact that I've been living with my husband for 25 years, and he is theoretically the same species as me, and I have no clue what he's thinking. <laughs> so there's no way I'm going to try to pretend I know what a parrot's thinking. Very no, good. That's what I do know is that with this African gray, I was stunned when the owner complained to me a couple of years ago that the bird was biting her. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. And I said to her, what are you doing to get this animal to bite? I mean, it was <laughs> inconceivable to me. Mm-hmm. And she said nothing, which, of course, is the wrong answer. Right. Yeah. So I started asking questions, and it turned out that she was trying to pet the bird. Oh, and yes. the bird was very politely pushing her hand away mm-hmm. over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And then the bird finally bit her. Yeah. Because what was actually happening is the bird was very politely saying, please don't do that. I really don't, I don't, you know, I don't want you to do that. Mm -hmm. And when the owner absolutely refused to understand, then the bird finally resorted to aggression, and then the woman went away. Right. And people can't understand why a bird wouldn't want to be petted. Yeah, that's, you know, it wasn't until I worked with wildlife that I really started getting a feel for how totally people misunderstand animals. Mm-hmm. You know, people would bring in an injured adult wild rabbit, and they would say to me, "He's really nice. He likes to be petted." <laughs> and they, there was only one reasonable response to that, and that is, "Well, that means he's dying." <laughs> And people would always get their feelings hurt, Mm -hmm. and I would say to them, if Godzilla tried to pet you, would you like it? Right. (laughs) And, I mean, the assumption is because 
our dogs like to be petted, mm. that that means every other animal on the planet And I really think that's the, that is part of the big problem is so many, we, we, we either overly anthropomorphize or we try to treat every animal as though they were our pet dogs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, of all the creatures on this planet, the dog is the only one, in my opinion, who shares our opinion of ourselves. Mm. That we are God's walking on this <laughs> <Good> planet. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because we that's made them that way. That's pretty profound, exactly. It is profound. Right. And, and, and uh, it's funny because, again, I have to go back to the horses. I'm an extreme horse lover. And, mm-hmm. and she says that, you know, we have to earn the right to, to, to the trust of a horse. Yes. Same with the bird. And the same with exactly the bird. Exactly the same. Now, I saw, I know everybody in the world has seen Irina, um, Irina Schultz's cockatoo on... Yes, on, a, on television, and I remember when she, uh, when Snowball was on the Letterman show. Okay, I was just yeah, I, I didn't like that whole segment because first of all, he called it stupid animal tricks, which there's no such thing. Hmm. And second of all, um, he went to go pet Snowball. Never mm-hmm. met this bird, right? And he, yeah, it's, it's, the, Leno is a very nice man, from what I understand, but he really has Letterman no animal. Guy. It was yeah. Letterman, clueless. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, and he went to pet, and, and Irina kind of just gently turned away, and she goes, "I wouldn't do that for you." Yeah. <laughs> um, why will he bite me? Well, he doesn't know you. He goes, "Well, he's not biting you," and she, she didn't say that to him. She said, um, "He might," and then she, he goes, "But he's not biting you," and she goes, "Well, he knows me." Mm-hmm. Did I bite people who try to pet me if I don't know them. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> what the heck are you doing touching me? Sure. Yeah. Like, who, the, who do you think you are? And so I think that is really a lot of, probably a lot of the people that, let me back up and ask it this way instead. Do you deal with people who have done, who have done this, you know, just your consultations? Constantly. Mm. They think a parrot's a lap dog with feathers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yikes. And, and when it, they're not, they end up, you know, they get thrown away. Sale and, yeah, exactly. They're supposed to be a cross between a lap dog with feathers and a feathered child. Yeah. And oh. they cannot be either. There's an expression in the parrot world that's used quite lovingly. They call their parrots their fids. Fids, yep. <laughs> their feathered kids. And it raises the hackles on the back of my neck every time I hear it. And it becomes a habit because you see it and hear it so much. Mm-hmm. I found myself saying the same thing. But you know what, though? It goes to the respect thing again. Exactly. I'm sitting here as somebody that's not, um, you know, a bird, I've not had the pleasure of having birds in my life, and yet I could see that that would go to disrespecting their, their nature. Mm-hmm. Yes. I like parrots because they're parrots. Right. Um, I had, uh, in all the years that I've written for Lay Magazines, I did one column for Bird Talk. They wanted me to write about how to teach parrot to talk. Uh-oh. They were doing an issue on talking. And I told them I, I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I'd had young parrots that I was raising learn to talk right. when I was raising them, but I had never taught a parrot to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I said I would be very happy to write a column about why I don't care there you go and it was very interesting because I got more hate mail from that column than any other subject I've addressed you got hate mail? I got hate mail oh my goodness it insulted people why? well because they got into parrots because they wanted an animal that would talk and there was something that they took personally in the fact that I was not interested in a parrot's talking ability 
Mm. Um, I, you know, I point out, I talk for a living. Why would I want to come home to an animal that was going to talk to? <laughs> Especially one that was just going to, you know, train to say something that, you know, they're mimicking. Mm-hmm. Like these birds on, on Pet Star that you say yeah. that, that you give them a cue and they'll say that word. That are but, trained to say that word. Yeah. I think, so, I, you know, it's not something that's, I mean, Sam said more words when I got her 35 years ago than she does now. Right. Because I don't talk to my animals except to say something about what they need. You know, are you ready for dinner? Right. But I don't come home and tell them about my day. <laughs> I just don't. I don't talk out loud. Mm, right. Um, I never have. And so Sam is therefore not encouraged to talk, but she does to a certain mm-hmm. extent. She says several words, but I don't have any interest in it, so I don't reinforce it. Sure. You're telling me though what I'm hearing, and I keep hearing this, and I and I'm drawn to the people who are sharing the way you're sharing, um, because you're sharing from an animal's perspective. I like the animal for what it is, not exactly how it mimics us. Right. Yes. Right. And it doesn't mean that any the three of us sitting here are any less in love with our animals than we are. I mean, I you know, but to respect them. Yes. I think it's so important. I think we've left that element out, and that's why we have so many crazy things happening um, legislatively in the animal yes. world. Mm-hmm. Is because we have we have overly anthropomorphized everything about them. It, it's, it's been a very bad thing to watch over the years. Um, they're, the Disney approach to animals. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, that's why people, tourists in Alaska get killed all the time. Yeah. Um, same thing in Yellowstone. Because mm-hmm. they, they think any animal on the planet is something they can pet. Yeah, go up and touch. Um, yeah. So that's where Darwin's uh, theory comes in why, really well. Why, how did we get there, do you think, Liz? What is your thing? I think there, a lot of it is Disney. Hmm. Oh. And I'm not kidding about that. Yeah. That a lot of us grew up with, you know, the animals talking to each other and doing very human things and even wearing clothes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And there are an awful lot of people, I guess, that n- never really separated that out. Like the ones that thought it was perfectly normal for a wild rabbit to like to be petted. Mm-hmm. That it In- never crossed their mind that that was about as illogical as you could get. Right. Sure, they're prey animals, and they want to get the heck away from you. So. Yeah, there's no animal that wants to have anything to do with us. Right. Except animals that we have either created to want to hang around with us, mm-hmm. or tamed to the point where they trust us. There you go, yeah. Or like I said before with the horses, she she works with the horse according to their flight nature. Yes, Okay, mm-hmm. she allows them the opportunity to fly, to flee if they yes. want. She doesn't train them in a round pen. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they've, the horse can decide based upon her understanding their body language and their nature yeah. whether they want to work with her or not. And, and you know what? She, she pretty much has established herself as a leader in their herd. Oh, I'm sure. And I bet you she can't teach another human how to do it. I don't mm. think so. No. I, I think she is, is trying to, but I think there is, I sense the same in her writing that I'm sensing from you, Liz, that there's a little bit of frustration in the fact that not everybody's going to get it because we so much, we do love animals. You know I mean? We wouldn't even be doing the show if we didn't, but mm-hmm. there's, we have to draw the line at, at where we're going to respect them and underst- I really think the most important thing is understanding their nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, at this point in my life, 
we, if we understood their nature, we'd know what the heck to feed them. Yeah. Okay, and then what Jeannie and I teach would be a moot point. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Very because true. Because we would know, uh, we, we would, and you can only do that by observing. Yeah. You, you, you can't do that by forcing an animal to adhere to your way. Yeah. And I think that um, probably because, like you were saying, Liz, that parrots are so new into our society. And yet we've been living with parrots for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, but unfortunately, humans frequently get an animal to do something for the human. Um, you, a man who is a little insecure in his masculinity might get a big snake right. and walk around with it, or a large parrot like a macaw and put it on his shoulder and walk around with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we see people like that all the time. Sure. Um, the animal's function is to fill in holes in the human's personality. There you go. And, in mm-hmm. fact, that goes to the whole so movement against animal, where we, we call it animal. And I know this could get political, and I'm not going to try to go there, but... <laughs> Um, but this goes to the whole movement in in, in equating rights, mm-hmm. um, and it goes to that very thing you just said. Yes, to fill a hole, a void in us. And and you see this with you know your your husband dies, so you go get a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that may not be a problem in any way. That may turn out to be a fabulous thing. Right. But if you're expecting that dog to replace your husband, mm-hmm. then it's not going to work. Actually, I've seen that happen. With yes, so have I. And I've yeah. seen that happen to the point that it, it actually is doing a lot of good for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It frequently does. Yeah, she actually But it can go the other way. It, yeah. The expectations can really screw things right. up, too. Right. Yeah. Well, she lost the dog also. Oh. Because of losing the dog, uh, a whole... A whole bunch of education has happened as a result of educating people on, you know, mm-hmm. MRSA infection in animals. Yeah. So that was a good thing. Um, although not being able to move on and have another pet is, a, is another story in itself. Yeah, very much so. And so there, I mean, there, there are things, and Jeannie and I teach the human-animal bond. Mm-hmm. Because, but the human-animal bond is coming from... a. But what you're saying, Liz, it's coming from a, we ha, it has to be a mutual respect. Yes. And we don't get there unless we earn it. No. And that's why, in a lot of ways, there, 30 years ago, you couldn't easily get a domestic bred parrot. Mm-hmm. All the parrots on the market were wild-caught birds. They were wild. They were captured out of the wild. They were brought into captivity. And if you wanted that animal to learn to be a companion, you had to tame it. Mm-hmm. And that meant you put a lot of work into that animal. And once you've put that much work into an animal like that, I would assume it would be a lot more difficult to throw it away. True. The domestic bred babies, these hand-raised babies, make it too easy. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd love anyone, and I offend people constantly saying they'd love an axe murderer just as much as they love you. Well, well animals have proven that. I mean, they pretty much will love their whoever they live with. Only as a baby, though. Right. Well, true. They are not dogs. No. Um, and they do not give unconditional love. <laughs> no, they don't. 
Absolutely not. Like, that's why Snowball ended up in rescue. That's right. <laughs> you know, because of, of the situation that... Because arose. Snowball bites the living daylights out of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is frequently the case with male cockatoos. Um, they are famous for aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, they are famous in captivity for killing their mates. Exactly. And yet, even people who've heard that don't believe it mm. until their cockatoo attacks them. But yeah. why, what I don't get, this is what will never fail to tell me, is why they don't believe it. And, it's, and it goes right back yeah. to not knowing the expectations. The of an yes. right. the expectations are wrongly placed. Well, there's also the problem with parrots because they grow up at a different speed mm-hmm. from dogs uh, they and cats. They live a long time. They, live a, they can live as long as us. Yes. Um, even a canary can outlive most dogs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, lifespan of 20 years, 30 years for a cockatiel, 18 years for a budgie. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those are just the little birds. Yeah. Um, Look at and, yours. I mean, you said... But the problem is that people don't understand that a, a, a parrot like a macaw or a cockatoo at the age of a year old is not an adult. No, mm-hmm. he's a baby. And so they keep, they keep expecting, okay, the bird hasn't bitten me in the first year of its life, therefore it never will. Mm. Yeah. And they don't grasp that parrots grow up more like children do. I'll point out to people, you know, have you ever raised a child? And usually they say yes, which is good, because it makes for a better parallel to draw. Um, If they've raised a son, Mm -hmm. I can draw a parallel from their African gray, who is a baby, like to be petted and now doesn't. Right. And I said, your son stopped wanting to be petted, too, didn't he? <laughs> True. And they say, well, yeah. And I say, well, it's the same thing. It, yeah, it's a, and they go through it. Jeannie's dealing with a teenager right now. Um, her but, yeah, I, I asked Liz about that. Evidently, the teenage stage in, in Gray's, anyway, is, is much earlier than much, much earlier. going through. Teenage so. is officially the area in which an animal reaches puberty. Right. Um, and... They're an African gray by the age of six years is generally considered to be thoroughly, fully sexually mature. So, so a 13-year-old African gray is, <laughs> is like a 20-year-old human, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's oh, just pulling numbers out of the air. He wants his own apartment, maybe, Jeannie. <laughs> yeah, he wants to move out. That <laughs> yeah, could be. He wants to get a job and buy his own car. Yeah. I don't That's know. the nice thing about parrots. You don't have to send them to college, and they make their own clothes. Right. <laughs> well, if they don't all of a sudden decide they want to, you know, chew them up anyway. Or pull them out. Be stark naked, yeah. <laughs> I would, Liz, we have run down sort of to the end of the show. We have about four minutes left, and I was curious as to what is on the horizon for you. I'm doing a lot of work with this organization um, because those of us that have worked with parrots for years, we're all the same age. We're in our early 60s now. And we need to share our knowledge so that there's generations of people behind us that can help people with behavior problems in their parrots. Hmm. Um, so I've been doing an awful lot of work with them, and it's turned into a, a full-time job 
which is kind of a problem when it's a volunteer job. Uh, yeah. yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, you understand that. Yeah. Otherwise, I still write for Bird Talk. Um, I've got articles coming up in a couple of veterinary journals and that sort of thing. Wow. I mean, and, you know, if people would go to your site, can you tell us how to get to your website so that they can go read? Because I would really think if people could hang out there and read a lot of what you've written. Yes. Get your books, yeah. And your books. That that, that's would... easy enough. My website is on a very good general parrot website called Up at Six. Up so at it's upatsix.com forward slash Liz. That takes you directly to the front page of my website. And I've got two dozen of my articles posted there. People can read for free. Is it up at six, the number six, or up at six? S- up at six spelled out. Okay. Up at six spelled out. And they can hang out there, and really, hopefully, you've encouraged people to do their homework mm-hmm. or ever even considering bringing one of these birds home. Mm-hmm. I would like people to do it better than I did it. Yeah. My first medium-sized parrot was an Amazon that I bought back in probably 71. Hmm. And that bird was dead in five days. Oh. And I couldn't tell you what kind of Amazon it was because I didn't know there were kinds of Amazons. Right. Um, the only thing I did right by that bird was to take his body to the only veterinarian in the Tacoma, Washington area that had the word avian in the name of his practice. Wow. And he showed me how thin this little bird was and how empty his crop was. I didn't know how to tell he wasn't eating. Right. Um, That's the way I started in the world of Mm -hmm. parrots. Um, And maybe everything I've done since then has been because I'm trying to pay back that little bird. Oh, yeah, I and think a lot of why us go I'm through sitting, that. That's why I'm sitting here talking with you, mm-hmm. and I think that's why a lot of us do what we do, Liz. Yeah. You know, we learned, and that animal allowed us to learn from them, but we move forward, and we pay it forward, and I think it's really exactly. great what, what you're doing, and um, Jeannie and I wish you much continued success. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the work that you do to help It's a pleasure. It doesn't get boring. That's important. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next week we have with us Dr. J, an old friend, who's going to be talking with us about viruses, friend or foe. So that should be a fast and furious, and we'll never get a word in edgewise or sideways (laughs) or any other way. This is uh, Kim Bloomer and Jeannie Thomason. We hope you guys all have a tail, wagon, hoof, stomping perfectly, feather. (laughs) How do I throw feather in there, Jeannie? Feather, Mm. animal talking day. Pets and nature come together every week on Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason. Learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Naturally. Naturally.